All right, guys, so we are um, going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And so if you would, um, open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be starting with verse 13. So I'm just going to read verses 13 to 14 to start. It's a sobering passage. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And what we're going to be reminded of this morning is that there's a difference between knowing that following Jesus is hard and experiencing following Jesus as hard. I think we can have this idea in our minds that we place our faith in Jesus and after that our life gets easier. And there can be this initial rush of joy as we begin to trust in Jesus and follow after him, but after a while we discover that the path we're on is not the easier path of life. It's the more difficult path of life. And so if you would, just imagine for me that there's people who are floating on inner tubes, what looks like down a a calm river. And instead of floating with them, you're running against the current or swimming against the current as hard as you can. Now, what would make you continue to swim against the current? One thing that would make you swim against the current is if you knew that a little ways down that river was Niagara Falls. And if you floated the wrong direction down the river, you were going to fall off the falls. But you would also experience what you were doing as harder than sitting in an inner tube and floating down the river. And what Jesus is saying is, the reason that we fight, the reason that we take this hard path that he calls us on, is not because it always feels good, because it's the path to life. And so we're going to get this sobering reminder that's a good reminder Simply that following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is hard. And so we're going to see three dangers that we experience along the way that make it difficult to follow Jesus. And the first one is the danger of false teachers. Verses 15 through 20, Jesus reminds us of this danger says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them 
by their fruits. So what Jesus literally says in this passage is beware of pseudo-prophets. He's saying beware of people who either utter the truth of God's word but live falsely or twist the word of God and also live falsely. So in Jesus' day, there were people who twisted God's word. Almost all of the epistles, that's the letters of the New Testament, are written to correct some type of false teaching. So that means 30 to 100 years after Jesus was on the earth, the world was already filled with false teaching. And down to our very day, there is false teaching everywhere. And Jesus says, don't be surprised by this, but instead you should expect there to be false teaching. But it's interesting because he doesn't say, here's how you identify false teaching. You basically look at whether the teaching itself is true or not. He gives us a different lens to look at false teaching. And he says, look at the life of the teacher. And he says that the teaching that is being taught from the mouth of the false teacher will produce a kind of fruit in that teacher's life. And then he gives this agricultural example, which is used widely throughout Scripture. And he says, think about a thorn bush. A thorn bush is not going to be able to produce grapes. And then he says, but you know what kind of tree it is by the fruit that it's producing. So when you're listening to somebody teach, what's important is that you're also watching their life. And you're asking yourself the question, what kind of fruit is this person producing? And I think what Jesus is indicating here is for us to have an understanding of what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is in somebody's life. And so we taught through Galatians not too long ago as a church, and we know that the fruit of the Holy Spirit are things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So it's not just about what the teacher is saying, it's about how the teacher is living. Is the fruit of the Spirit being produced in their life? And then we know that the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit is the works of the flesh. And those are the things that naturally come out of the human heart, whether that's idolatry or greed or sexual immorality, materialism, hatred, and anger. And when those things are coming out of a person's life, even if the truth is coming out of that person's mouth, Jesus would say that that person is a false teacher. And what Jesus is 
indicating here is that we don't just learn how to live the Christian life by believing the truth intellectually. We learn to live the Christian life by following the example of other people. So what's important is not just that you're being taught the word of God and that you grasp it and understand it. It's important that the people that are teaching you the word of God are also themselves obeying the word of God. That they are living what they teach. So imagine that you went out to a national park and you're going to go on a really difficult trail. And so you need a trail guide. And there's a trail guide. And before you go on the trail, the trail guide is super well-informed. And he knows about all the dangers of going off the trail. So he sits you and, and your group down on some rocks. And he starts to explain, like, you definitely don't want to go off the trail at this point, And you don't want to go off the trail at this point. And there's grizzly bears in this part of the trail. And you might see a moose in this part of the trail. And you, you definitely don't want to try to climb this rock face. And... And you're just blown away. Like this guy gives like a 20-minute speech on where you should go and where you shouldn't go on the trail. Now imagine if you get out onto the trail and that trail guide who just explained all of the dangers to you is doing the exact opposite of what he told you to do. So that rock face that he told you not to go on, he's just climbing up it. Hey, can you take my picture? And the, the bear, where the bears were, he's just like running in there and laughing. And wouldn't it be hilarious if I saw a bear here? And it's like, no, it wouldn't. Well, even though that trail guide knew that trail like the back of his hand, even though he was able to explain it to you to a T and tell you about all the dangers. What begins to happen to you as you're on the trail with him is the dangers in your mind start to be diminished. Because you're like, well, it must not actually be that dangerous. Because his behavior is indicating that it's not. And in the same way, if a teacher is telling you certain things, don't do this, don't go here, don't do this, this is God's word, this is what's true, but then their life is contradicting what they're saying, then what you are actually going to be taught at the end of the day is going to be false teaching. Okay, so here's a question. What do we do with the reality that we believe at Salt City, that every person is a sinner. Every person sins and falls short of the glory of God. Do you know what we do with that reality? You remember the gospel begins, the gospel of Matthew begins with this guy named John the Baptist. And he tells us to bear fruit, same word, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Here's the mark of a true teacher. 
do they repent? Do they have a humble, teachable heart? You are never going to find a human teacher who is perfect. You're never going to find a human teacher who is sinless. But you should expect me and your other human teachers to be repentant. To be people who not only confess sin, but are growing Christians and willing to turn away from their sin and back to Jesus, not once, but over and over and over again. And that's the example that we want to set for you here at Salt City. Not how to live a perfect Christian life, but how to live a repentant Christian life. Because remember, this passage is found at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus calls us to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. He says that if someone even looks with lust at a woman, he's committed adultery in his heart. He says that if you even get angry with somebody, you've committed murder. Who is adequate for these things? Guys, who can say that they have kept their way pure? No. All we can do is over and over again repent. That is, turn away from our natural tendency to sin and back to Jesus again and again, not to be perfect Christians, but to be growing Christians. So the first danger is the danger of false teachers. But Jesus asks us to move from examining the life of our teachers to examining our own hearts. In, in two of the most searching passages you'll find in all of Scripture, we see, first of all, in our own lives, the danger of vain words. See, our words have a tendency to defend our hearts. We have a tendency to use our words to justify ourselves and to pretend that we're something that we're not. And that's what Jesus gets at here, starting with verse 21, going to verse 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, that's the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now here's what Jesus is getting at here. He contrasts the person who merely says with the one who both says and does. So he's imagining a person who goes before Jesus on judgment day and says, Lord, Lord, which means master, master, or king, king. And the way 
that you emphasized something in the Greek language. Jesus does this all the time. Truly, truly, I say to you, the way to emphasize something was to repeat it twice. So this person is emphatically saying, Jesus is my Lord. And Jesus looks at them and says, that's not true. Because by definition, if I was your Lord, you would have been doing what I said, which is why at the end, Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The true indication that Jesus is your Lord is if you do what he says. You obey his word. Not perfectly, but truly. That your desire is to obey him and to follow after him. See, we've created this category in American Christianity of disobedient Christian. That's a contradiction in terms. There is no such thing as a Christian who has not made it their life ambition to obey and follow Jesus. A disobedient Christian is a non-Christian. You understand how controversial that is? If you are not genuinely following Jesus, if you have merely just believed in him in some vague way, but have made no attempt to follow his teaching, you are not saved. And he will say to, to you, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Because a true Christian is somebody who doesn't just embrace what Jesus did for them on the cross, but also embraces, embraces Jesus as the Lord of their life and gives it their everything to follow after him, to obey him, to trustingly walk with him on the path of life. And here's how we begin to justify ourselves. And this is where things get really dangerous. You notice what this person says to Jesus. Did we not prophesy in your name? In other words, didn't we tell other people about you? Didn't we have a ministry of our words? Didn't we share the good news with other people? Didn't we call other people out for their sin? Didn't we evangelize? So first of all, there's word ministry. Didn't we cast out demons? This person's justifying themselves before Jesus. Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we have a supernatural ministry? Didn't we pray for people's healing? Didn't we believe in the supernatural universe? Didn't we have a Christian worldview? Didn't we do many mighty works? We were part of prayer gatherings where you responded and did amazing things. Here's what Jesus is saying. The evidence 
that you're a Christian is not your ministry. It's not what you do for God in an external way. It's not how much money you give to the church. It's not how many people you lead to know Jesus. The evidence that you are a follower of Jesus is that you obey what he says. And specifically what we're looking at in this context is the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the test. Do you forgive other people when they wrong you? Do you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Are you poor in spirit? Do you understand that your anger is so dangerous that in God's eyes it is as if you murdered your brother or sister? And do you turn from it because of that reality? In other words, do these words of Jesus have a weight and seriousness in your life that have fundamentally changed the way that you live so that you are different, radically different than the people around you? So that you're not just living out of your sinful nature, but you're living out of the new nature that you have in Christ. Is your Christianity real or is it just talk? Okay, here's what I think Jesus is saying here. I've got one of my kids who is obviously my most obedient kid. I'm not going to use any names. He'll probably watch this later. And I've got another one of my kids that is obviously my most disobedient kid. And here's what happens. We have different rules. And sometimes the rule is, like close to dinner time, the rule is you've got to stay in our yard. Because we don't want to have to go down the block to get you from the neighbor's yard. And so my obedient child, if I say, hey, I want you to stay in the yard. So I say, okay, great. My disobedient child, if I tell him, sorry, (laughs) I gave it away. If I tell it (laughs) that I want them to stay in the yard, they will say to me, I promise that I am going to stay in the yard. Dad, I will not disobey you. Just a master of words. And it's like, continue to pile it on. And then what happens inevitably, luckily we have like a, our house is kind of up on a hill. So it's almost like a watchtower or something. You know? And so immediately what will happen is, we'll go outside and I'll run out to one of the windows where I can see. And within 15 to 20 seconds, just taking off, <laughs> just leaving the yard. Which one of those kids 
has come under my authority. The one who says, I promise I'll obey you. Or the one who actually does. See, it's not that complicated. You can trick your pastor. You can trick your family. You can trick your connection group leader. You can trick your friends. You can even trick yourself for your entire life. But you cannot trick Jesus. And you are in incredible danger this morning if you are tricking Jesus. Because the only possible outcome for living a double life is the judgment of God. And you coming to church and pretending to be a Christian will not save you from judgment. It will make your judgment worse. And so, some of us, all of us need to examine ourselves, but some of us need to, for the first time, tell Jesus the truth. Tell him what he already knows. I've been faking it. I haven't really been wanting to follow you. I've been living a double life. You need to tell some of your friends who you've been lying to, and it'll be hard to say that. But for the first time in your life, you will be free. And that's what Jesus wants for you. Not to ruin your life, but to set you free in the truth of following him. And he wants to give you a life that you could never earn or deserve. And he wants you to walk in his path of rightness, not because he's a killjoy, but because it is the path to life. So let's stop hiding behind those words. So that's the first thing he says, the danger of vain words. The second danger is the danger of head knowledge. Okay, let's look at verses 24 through 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus is saying in this section almost identically what he said in the previous section. So there's the danger of vain words saying what is not true in your heart. Lord, Lord. 
But there's an equal danger in what you believe here, but has not trickled down to your heart and overflowed into your life. There's a danger of hearing without doing. And Jesus is asking us, not what do you think about Christianity or what do you know, but he's asking us the question, what are we building our life on? And he gives this vivid description. In one section he says, there's people who build their life on the sand. And those are people who hear the word of God and merely hear it, but don't do what it says. And the reason that that life is being built on the sand is because that life never really trusts in Jesus. That life is a trusting in your own understanding. Because if you really trust Jesus, you would do what he says because you would believe that what he says is true and that would manifest itself in your actions. So the person who builds their life on the sand is the person who knows the right thing to do but trusts in themselves more than they trust in King Jesus. And any life that is built on the self instead of what Jesus said is a life that even though it might feel secure, look secure, look good, and feel good, it will end in destruction. Isn't that a great picture for our minds? You can imagine just this beautiful beach house that Jesus is describing. You can see why somebody would think it was a good idea to build their life on the sand. Because the sand is next to the water. And some of us, we feel great about our lives right now. Because we believe the word of God, but it's not manifesting itself in our, in our lives. But our life seems to be going pretty well. And Jesus is saying, if you're building your life apart from my word, even though the structure feels secure right now, it's going to fall. And so sand is things like building your life on your money or building your life on your career or building your life on a romantic relationship. All of those things can be good things, but if those things are the main thing and not living a life in obedience to Jesus, your life is going to come crashing down. And so Jesus invites us, instead of building our lives on the sand, to build our life on the rock. And the life built on the rock is the life where you not only hear the word of God, but you do 
what it says. Here's what happens when you begin to do what the word of God says. It's really terrifying. It's really difficult. Because you've got to let go of your self-sufficiency and you've got to trust, really trust what Jesus says. Because when you obey him, it doesn't always feel like the right thing to do. Okay, let's just think about forgiveness, for example. It's one thing that Jesus has talked about to us in the Sermon on the Mount, to forgive other people. Have you ever had somebody just really wrong you before? Just do something to you where you just are like, I can't believe that any human being could do something. And we want to just write that person off. And the life built on the stand says, I'm going to give myself over to resentment. I'm going to give myself over to bitterness. I'm going to put that person in the category of shame. I'm going to shun them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to turn my back on them because that is an awful person. And the life built on the rock ignores that sinful nature and instead trusts in Jesus and believes him when he says that the life of forgiveness is the path to life. And so we forgive even though in our own hearts and minds and to the people around us, it feels like it makes no sense. Feels like revenge would be more satisfying. And same thing goes with our sexuality. Everyone around us is telling us, just gratify your sexual desire. Do whatever you want. Do what feels good. Look inside of yourself and whatever you desire, live that on the outside. Because if you don't, you will be a repressed individual. You will not be fully human. And instead of believing that lie, we believe the truth from Jesus. That sex was meant to be enjoyed in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. Controversial in the world. But the question comes down to, who is your authority? And Jesus invites us to build our lives on his authority. And only those who build their lives on his authority are actually trusting in him. Are you trusting in Jesus? Or are you trusting in yourself? There's a huge difference between actually stepping into this life that Jesus has for us of trust and living based on our own understanding and intellectual knowledge. Okay, have you ever had a friend who's a first-year teacher before? Some of you have experienced being first-year teachers, right? And you know the difference between the head knowledge of, of the classroom and the reality, and the head knowledge of like the classroom like learning 
uh, in college and then actually going into the elementary school or middle school classroom and teaching for the first time. There's a huge difference. And most of the time, when teachers begin to teach for the first time, they say, I could have never imagined that this is what this would be like. And most first-year teachers, like most people in first-year occupations of any kind, they just want to quit. And so here's, here's the good news for you. If you've gotten to the point in your relationship with Jesus where you just want to quit, you probably are starting to understand what Christianity is really about. Because it's hard. Following Jesus is hard. And anyone who tells you different is a liar. And they're probably not actually following Jesus. Because Jesus invites us into this life that is so unnatural to us, where we disconnect from trusting in ourselves and we begin to trust in him. Okay, so why would we do this, guys? It's explicit at the beginning of the text and it's implicit throughout it. Kind of like a revised big idea. Let me throw this up at the end, okay? Following Jesus is hard and it leads to life. See, that's the amazing thing about this. It's, it's hard, but it's the best possible life that you can live. We were not made to carry the weight of our own life. We were not made to make our own decisions. Are you tired of trusting in yourself? Are you tired of leaning on your own understanding? Are you tired of following your own wisdom? Come follow Jesus. His wisdom is so counterintuitive, but you will experience the life that you've always wanted if you will follow the hard path that he calls us down. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you give it to us straight. There are so many voices competing for all of our attention right now, whether that be on um, cable news or that's on social media or that's our friends. So many people telling us this is the right path or that's the wrong path or this is a lie or this is fake. And it's like a breath of fresh air just opening up the Bible and, and Jesus, you telling us that you're the king, that you're the authority, you speaking directly to us about the dangers and about the path of life and being so clear for us. God, would you help us to stop deceiving ourselves with vain words, with, with our head knowledge? And would you call us just to take a step of obedience, Jesus, to follow what you say, to do what you say, for that to start to take shape in our lives. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.